Good morning and welcome. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're continuing in our series in the book of Philippians, so we need to turn to that book. Uh, if you have a Bible or an app, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you or don't have an app downloaded, uh, we have Bibles in the back of the pews. Grab one of those. If you grab one of the leather-bound Bibles, uh, you'll find Philippians on page 668. If you grab one of the paperbacks, you'll find it on page 551. Uh, just a little way to easily find the book of Philippians. Of course, the table of contents is always there. That's why God gave it to us. Uh, but Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to begin this morning. Now, what kind of legacy are we as people leaving? Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a wonderful home. Uh, don't get me wrong, my parents were amazing. Uh, I loved them. I loved the household that I grew up in. But church was not something that we ever did. There was never a discussion, even at Christmas and Easter time, about whether or not we should go to church. I never had or heard that discussion take place in my home. Again, wonderful house, and I had a great uh, childhood, but church and Christianity was not part uh, of that uh, aspect of my life growing up in my home. But I had a friend of mine in eighth grade, and I've told this story, that invited me to church, and I started going and um, rebelled a little bit in college. But then, uh, in a, a few years into college, God placed an amazing man into my life. The guy's name is Buddy Young. He is still the Baptist Student Ministry Director at West Texas A&M University, the place where I went and got my bachelor's degree. And Buddy Young was instrumental in helping me turn my life back to Christ and become a mature Christian. And it was actually Buddy who uh, started the process of me pursuing ministry. So uh, in my college years, when I turned my life back to Christ, uh, I began working uh, and serving the Lord in as many ways as I could. And one of the ways was I served on a traveling ministry team and we did dramas, uh, we'd go to churches and we'd do dramas and worship and preach and, and things like that. And Buddy uh, helped us organize and would go with us many times. And you'll hear stories of that later on uh, in, in, as I preach because there's some amazing things that God did during that, that time span of my life. But a few years in working with Buddy, he came to me one day and said, Chad, there's a church that's about 15 minutes from here that needs a youth minister. First Baptist Church of Happy Texas. Yes, there's a place called Happy Texas. It's, it's not the happiest place on earth, but it's, it exists. And First Baptist in this little bitty town of Happy Texas needed a youth minister. This church ran about 150 people, small farming community out in, in the Texas panhandle. Uh, and he said, you know, they, they need somebody. And he, he said these words, and, and I remember these words so distinctly. He looked at me and said, I think you're the guy for that job. And I looked up to Buddy, and so I thought, wow, what, a, what an opportunity, what a compliment. And long story short, I, I interviewed with the pastor and their search committee team and ended up getting the job there, and I started ministry at that church in a very real way. I, I met... Uh, started dating my wife in that time. My wife and I got married in that church. That church holds a very special place in my heart. But I look back at my life and I think, where would I be today if it wasn't for Buddy Young? 
Where would I be today if it wasn't that, if my life didn't have that man that stopped and spent intentional time with me, growing me as a Christian, and pointing me, when God called him to, pointing me into ministry? Now, I know that God would have placed somebody, but God placed Buddy Young. Buddy was the guy. Buddy was the man that God used to put me into full-time ministry. I would not be up here today if it wasn't for God placing that man in my life. And believe me, Buddy Young touches the lives of thousands of college students every year. He is a man that has a rippling legacy going out from his life because of the life for God that he lives. And that's the question that I think we need to ask ourselves this morning is the question of legacy. So look with me in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 19. And let's look at what it has to say for us this morning. Chapter 2, verse 19, says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him, speaking of Timothy, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you soon, as soon as I can, how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs." For he longs for you, for all of you, and is distressed because he, you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety." So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, this passage is interesting because there's not any hard application from Paul today. Basically, this is a personal message from Paul to the church at Philippi saying, Hey, here are these two guys. I'm going to send one of them right now, and I'm hoping to send the other one very soon. One of them is one of your own, Epaphroditus. The other one is Timothy, who you know well. Now, let's talk about these two guys for just a moment so that we've got a little background on who Paul is talking about. First off, Timothy. Timothy is the most mentioned man in the New Testament other than Jesus and the apostles, which includes Paul. Timothy is mentioned at least 25 times in the New Testament. And so he is mentioned often. We actually hear from him or hear about him first in Acts chapter 16, which if you think back to my very first message on the book of Philippians, Acts 16 is also the first time we hear about the church at Philippi. 
I don't think that's a coincidence. Timothy and Paul cross paths in Acts 16. And we find out from 2 Timothy and a couple other places that Paul and Timothy come together. And Timothy was already a believer. His, he was born to a Gentile father who was not a believer and a Jewish mother who was a believer. And from what we understand, his mother and his grandmother were both followers of Jesus Christ. And they led him to Jesus. And then from there, Timothy and Paul meet each other. And Timothy goes with Paul and becomes a missionary with him. And so one of the very first places that Timothy would have gone on mission to was Philippi. Isn't that interesting? That, that this man that Paul is mentioning to the Philippians probably has a very close connection with this particular church because it was probably one of the very first churches that he worked with Paul on, worked with Paul with. And so Timothy is being mentioned here. So we know that Timothy is with Paul while Paul is in prison right now while he's writing this letter. Then we hear about another guy named Epaphroditus. And we're going to find out later on in this book uh, of Philippians that Epaphroditus was actually sent from the church at Philippi to send some gifts, some financial support to Paul in prison. And somewhere along the way, whether it was on the journey there or once he arrived, Epaphroditus got sick. And as you heard from this passage right here, Epaphroditus didn't just get sick. He got sick to the point that he almost died. This man put everything on the line to serve Jesus Christ, to be the messenger that the Philippian church needed to help Paul. And so Epaphroditus, we don't hear a whole lot of in the New Testament. We only hear his name a couple of times. But just in this one little passage, we hear a lot about who Epaphroditus was and his belief and faith in Jesus Christ. So why are we looking at this passage today? Why would we spend any time looking at a passage that basically says, Hey, Philippians, I'm going to send two guys to you, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why would we spend time on this passage? Because I think there are two things that we can learn from this passage. I think we can learn about what genuine faith lived out looks like. And I think we can find out what legacy looks like. And so here's my statement for the morning. Here's that one statement that I want you to go home and I want you to be able to remember this week and think on and pray on this week. On a side note, we've also got questions and Bible passages in the kitchen sink that you can read and think through and study all week this week. And so if you haven't grabbed a kitchen sink, grab one on your way out and look over those questions and think through those uh, over this next week. But here's my statement for this week. The statement is this, genuine legacy genuinely changes lives. Genuine legacy genuinely changes lives. So I want to look at those two things. I want to look at what genuine following Christ looks like, what it looks like to be a genuine follower. And I want to look at what that genuine follower, what the legacy of that genuine follower looks like, what the, the lasting effects Maybe. And so let's look at the first aspect that I'm talking about this morning. How do we know 
if someone is a genuine follower? How do you know if you are a genuine follower? Well, I think Paul maps out several aspects of a genuine faith in this passage. So look back with me at chapter 2, verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19, beginning of our passage. We're going to read through 21. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show you genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not to those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a father he has served me with the work of the gospel. I think the first sign of genuine faith is true humility. And we spoke about this at length last week, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul is coming back to it. He says that Paul is genuinely concerned for the people of Philippi. He's genuinely, genuinely concerned for the welfare of Paul. He talks about this humility that Timothy has. And if you go and read other passages where Paul talks about Timothy or you read First and Second Timothy, you're going to find that Timothy was one of these guys that was very focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't care very much about his own comfort or his own welfare. His primary concern was Jesus and others. And so again, like we, we discussed at length last week, Humility, having a, a genuine concern for others, is a true sign of genuine faith. The next one is what we find in verse 22. We've read it, but let's read it again. But you know that Timothy has proven himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. If you spend time with someone who is a genuine Christian, a genuine follower of Christ, you're just going to be able to tell. They're going to prove that genuine faith through time. Timothy was someone who had proven himself. He lived life with Paul. And he served many, many churches. If you go and read about the, the journeys in the life of Timothy, he served the churches at length. Uh, there's a, one point where Paul sends him out on his own to go and be kind of an elder, an overseer uh, of these churches that they had planted. And Timothy had proven to be trustworthy, to be faithful in all that he did. As you spend time with someone, their faith is just going to be proven. It's going to be evident through the way that they live their life. The next thing is found in verse 23. So read verse 23 with me. It says, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. The idea here is that Timothy was willing to go wherever he needed to go. He was a true servant. Timothy didn't live his life saying, I want this. Timothy lived his life saying, what does God want me to do? And so the idea here is that Timothy's servant attitude was a sign of his genuine faith. He was willing to go and do the hard job so that the gospel could be spread. Let's look at the, what the next thing is. Look with me at verses 25 through 28. 
But I think it is necessary to send back to Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. The next sign of genuine faith is a willingness to put everything on the line for Jesus Christ. You see, back in this day and time, Traveling was not hop in your car and drive, drive a few hours and it's no big deal. Traveling in this day and time was a life-risking endeavor. You had robbers on roads. You had rebels that would try and take your possessions. You had people that would try and take advantage of you and would hurt you. But not only that, you would place yourself in risk of catching diseases that you hadn't been around if you know anything about how a disease works and being exposed to things, you get exposed to something, your body builds up an immunity. And we live in an international world where so much travel takes place that we ourselves have been exposed to a high number of different uh, diseases and our body has built up immunities to those. But in this day and time, that's not the way the world worked. People didn't travel the way we do today. And so the, the diseases and the things you were exposed to as a traveler in this day and time, put you at higher risk. But Epaphroditus didn't care about that. Epaphroditus' attitude was, I know that there's a need, and despite the risk, I will go. I will serve. I will do what God has called me to do. And I think it's interesting that Paul doesn't just say that he was sick and he almost died, but he got better. He actually says that he got sick and he almost died, but God had mercy on him. And I think there's something to be said for the faith that Epaphroditus had in saying, you know what, I'm going to put it all on the line and if God wants me to live, I'll live. He trusted in God to the point of putting his personal life on the line for Jesus Christ. What about you? What about us? Are you willing to put your life on the line for Christ? Are we willing to put our comfort on the line, our possessions on the line, our family on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because God says, God makes it clear throughout His Word that if we're not willing to put everything on the line, we need to take another look at our faith. And so what are you willing to to put on the line for Jesus Christ like Epaphroditus did. I think the last part about genuine faith is found in verse 29. So look with me in verse 29. It says, So then, welcome him, talking about Epaphroditus, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up, make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This may sound self-serving, and I apologize for that, but it's biblical, so it has to be said. There is a certain level of honor that is given to those who serve the Lord at this level, 
risking it all on the line, putting his life to the side. Epaphroditus basically said, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to be with my family. I'm not going to have my social life. I'm not going to be with my comforts. I'm going to go and put everything on the line to go do the work that the church has called me to do. And Paul says here, honor such ones as this. Honor those that are basically putting it all on the line for the gospel of Christ to serve his church. Again, it's self-serving, but it's a biblical truth. You'll find it throughout God's word, Old and New Testament. And so we are called to honor such men, such women. So those are the signs, that's what I'm calling them today, of genuine faith. It's that humility, that concern for others. It's that proven worth. It's that servant attitude, that willingness to risk everything for Jesus. And on the flip side of that, it's that honor that comes with that. We don't seek to serve the Lord to receive honor. We seek to serve the Lord and do what the Lord has for us. But what about legacy? Why would I talk about legacy in, in, in these passages? Well, I think that the biggest point of legacy for us here today is Timothy. Uh, as I mentioned in 2 Timothy, we find that Timothy came to know the Lord because of the work of his mother and grandmother. They had they instilled a lasting legacy in and through Timothy. Because think about it for a moment. He had a mother and a grandmother who led him to the Lord. And then as a result, how many people do you think came to know Jesus Christ because of Timothy's work? If you count through time because of First and Second Timothy and the work that Timothy did that has had rippling effects for hundreds of years, I think we could easily comfortably say that Timothy could be connected to the faith life of probably millions of people. That's a legacy. That's what a legacy looks like. When your life has such an effect that it affects other lives for generations to come because of your faith. That's what a legacy is. So what legacy are you leaving? If you're single, you know, you're, you're thinking, oh, well, I don't have kids. I don't, I don't have anything to leave legacy with. No, you do. Because you interact with people time and time again. Think of my, my beginning illustration, my beginning story of Buddy Young. Buddy was married and had kids, but that had no effect on me. Had Buddy been a single guy that just was the Baptist student ministry director at my college, he still would have had that amazing legacy effect on my life. His marital status had nothing to do with the legacy he left with me. The fact is, is if you're single, you have the opportunity to touch so many lives. You have friends. You have people here at church. You have people that you work with. There's so many interactions. Your neighbors, the people you cross paths with on a regular basis. You have an opportunity to leave a lasting legacy. What about the married couples? There are many of you in this room sitting next to your spouse. What legacy are you leaving with your kids? We live in the most biblically illiterate American society in history. And the fact of the matter is, is we have to point the finger at ourselves for that. Because we've raised a couple of generations that aren't that biblically literate. We've left it to the church 
to teach our kids about the Bible, and that's fine, but the church, according to Deuteronomy 6 and so many other passages, the church is not the primary group that should be leading your children and growing your children in Christ. It's we as parents. So married couples, what legacy are you or have you left with your children? There's always time to leave a legacy. It doesn't matter if your kids are in their 50s or 60s or if they're in their, uh, you know, preteens. It doesn't matter. We always have an opportunity to impact lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have kids, what are you doing today to leave a legacy with them? What are you going to do tomorrow to leave a legacy? Let's have a harder discussion. Divorcees. If you're divorced, what kind of legacy are you leaving? With kids? With stepkids? With, with the, the complicated families that we sometimes end up with uh, in that? Let's take that even a step further. What kind of legacy are you leaving with your ex? What kind of biblical example are you showing the people that you don't even really like that much? What kind of legacy for the gospel are you leaving behind? What about retirees, empty nesters? What kind of legacy are you leaving with your grandkids? I came to know Christ because I had a grandmother, despite the fact I grew up in a household that didn't ever go to church, I had a grandmother that insisted that I go to church camp every summer. And the summer of fourth grade, when I was 10 years old, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior because I had a grandmother that made sure I went to church camp every summer. Grandparents, retirees, empty nesters, what legacy are you leaving for the next generation that's behind you? We're all called to leave a legacy. Let me do the hard step here. What legacy are we leaving as First Southern? What legacy is this church going to leave? Because there's going to come a time when every single one of us in this room no longer live in these earthly bodies. There's going to come a time where we don't exist on this earth, but there will be generations behind us that will, and they're going to either reap the benefits or pay the price for the legacy that we leave behind. Are we going to leave a gospel legacy for this church or are we going to leave a church that's dying? That's a question that I think we should be pondering and praying over for years to come. What are you willing to do to leave a lasting legacy for the generations after us here at First Southern? What are we willing to do to make sure that your kids, your grandkids, that my children and my grandchildren have a legacy at this church? What are we doing to make sure that this church exists in 50 years and doesn't just exist, but is thriving in the gospel of Jesus? What are you willing to do? I ask that question because we have to face a hard, difficult reality. We are an amazing church family. 
And I have said it multiple times, I am proud to be the pastor of First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale. But on that same note, we also have to recognize that we are teetering at an epic moment in the life of this church. We can either continue down the road that we've been going down and not leave a lasting legacy, or we can make some healthy changes in this church to leave a legacy that will last for generations to come. Not one or two, but for many generations. I want my eight-year-old son and my one-year-old son to look back when their grandparents and say, wow, look at where First Southern is today. But let's be honest, that's going to mean that some of our personal preferences are going to have to be sacrificed on the altar of God's will. Some of our personal desires are going to have to be laid at the altar of God's desires for this church. Some of us, the, the direction of this church is exactly what we want, and that's what God wants. We, we, it, you may not have any issues with where God takes First Southern, but for some, it may be a difficult path. Will you trust the proven worth of the leadership that's here when the difficult times come? If our leadership has proven their worth to you, will you trust them when things don't go the way you think they should have gone or when your preferences aren't the way, the direction that First Southern goes? Because, guys, things are going to change, right? You can't follow Jesus Christ and stay where you're at. Christ is always calling us to change and be better and improve. So when this church changes and improves, will you be here and will you fight for the life and the health and the legacy of this amazing church body. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you that you have a plan. You have a plan for each and every one of us, but Lord, you have a plan for First Southern. And Lord, we pray that through prayer, through seeking your face, through understanding your desires and your will, that we would know and we would be willing to follow your direction, even if it's not the direction we would like to see it go. We thank you so much, Lord, for all that you are and all that you're doing. We thank you for this amazing church. And Lord, we pray that you continue this amazing, this mighty work that you have begun in us. And we pray that we would leave a lasting legacy of the gospel for generations to come. We thank you, we praise you, and we lift these in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now we're going to move into a time of response in our service. And if you need to spend some time in prayer, the altar is open to you. We invite you to come and, and spend some time praying to the Lord. If you need to talk with someone or pray with someone this morning, uh, my name is Pastor Chad. I'm going to be right here on this front pew. If you need to talk with someone or pray with someone, I'm, I would love to be available to you and, and talk and pray with you this morning. But let's stand and let's worship.